The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit WOGCC.com. Well, last weekend we kicked off our series called Making Change, and we talked about less is more. We gave you four topics that we're going to go through in this series, and if you remember them or if you can read on the screens, why don't we say them together? Less is more. No, 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 there, no, no, hang on, we're going to try this again. All right, less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, and tomorrow, Matt, one more time with gusto, less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, and tomorrow matters. Now, these are not just sermon topics. These are ideas that are founded in Scripture that I believe that God wants us to understand, and He wants these things to be in our heart so we can truly live free, because there's so much stress that is caused by finances. So many people turn to other things as as an escape, as a way to cope, as a way to alleviate some of the pressure and the pain because we know that financial stress is bad. No one in this room has to hear that financial stress is bad and they're like, oh wow, what a concept. Everyone understands financial stress is bad because we've all at some level, at some point in our life, experienced financial stress. You may be experiencing financial stress right now, and it is bad. It is. Stress is bad. Financial stress is bad, and we want to make sure that we learn how to walk free because God has better for you, and He has so much more He wants you to focus on. He has so much more that's so much more important than us living the rest of our lives under financial stress because no one has ever said, oh man, that new high uh, interest rate credit card that I just got, man, that debt that we just accumulated from that high interest credit card, oh man, that just calms my soul. (laughs) No one says that vacation that we took four years ago that we're still paying off was totally worth the pressure that we've been under lately. No one says those types of things, but yet we understand this stuff is bad and the most stress often that we feel in our lives is caused by finances in some way, shape, or form. But stress comes when we try to live for God backwards. This is where stress comes from. When we try to live for God backwards. You know what I mean. When we talk like God is important, but our actions move Him further down the list of our priorities. We say all the right things, and you know, if we were asked what was the most important thing in our life, we would put God at the top but would our actions line up with what we know we're supposed to say in certain situations? In Psalm, the 37th chapter, in the fourth verse, the psalmist writes this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But stress comes when we do this backwards. Stress comes when we want the desires of our heart and then somewhere down the line, we want to delight in the Lord. You see, when my heart's desires aren't tempered, when they're not influenced, when they're not directed by my delight in the Lord, then my desires are extremely selfish and wicked. That's part of this human nature is this selfishness that gets exposed in our lives and it manifests in a number of ways. And this stress that we experience from finances often comes from a life that has been living, lived completely directed by self. The Bible does not say that we're supposed to chase after the desires of our heart and ask God to continue, continually bail us out, help us, or bless what we're doing. Instead, it says delight in the Lord. And then he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Because when you delight in the Lord, the desires of your heart are going to change. The same desires that you had before are not going to be the desires that you end up with if you delight yourself in the Lord. If you truly focus on delighting in the Lord, man, all of a sudden you experience a new level of contentment that you never thought possible. You experience a level of exhaling that you never thought was possible. A level that you're like, man, I can be content in all things because Christ has become enough for me. And all of a sudden, your life is so much more than the sum of your possessions. Your life becomes so much more than the things you can attain, the status you can achieve, the number in your bank account, the type of house you have, the type of car you drive, what people refer to you as at work, the level that you may have achieved in society or certain socioeconomic uh, circles or the place that you may call home, whatever the case may be, the type of vacations that you take. You become so much more than those things, and you don't identify with those things when Christ truly becomes the center of your life. And you can delight in the Lord. You can rest knowing that I could lose all of these earthly possessions, and if I still had Christ, I still have enough. That if I lose all of my earthly possessions, that if people abandon me, that still Christ could be enough. And it always has blown my mind thinking about this concept of Christ being enough, because the world we live in, especially in America, with our value system that is often marketed to us and pushed to us that only encourages selfish living, we think that more is better. And we think that my happiness is somehow attached to something I don't have. My happiness is somehow attached to something that I haven't yet experienced. That contentment is only an extra paycheck away. That contentment and rest and lack of stress is only one raise away. And the guy that sits next to me or works next to me got it instead of me. And we always think if I just had that, that's not fair. If I just had what someone else had, then all of a sudden I would truly know what contentment is. Listen, folks, you can have, you can chase after, you can pursue, you can attain, you can acquire, but unless you delight yourself in the Lord, you will never truly know what contentment is. You will always be wanting. You will always be searching you will always be trying to one-upsmanship the other guy, feeling like you're better because you have this and they don't have that, or you've accomplished this and they haven't quite accomplished the level that you have, and your life becomes this competition with other people or putting others down. And that's no way to live, and it causes stress because it's keeping up with the Joneses. It's trying to have bigger and better. And God says that's not the way I want you to live, I want you to delight first in me. I want you to seek me first. I want me to be enough. And, and it's always blown me away when I think about people in third world countries. And I've seen some of these countries. and I've visited some of these countries. And when I hit the ground, the stories are always the same. You always see people that are so happy. You always see people that seem to be content with absolutely nothing. And you're blown away that they can be this happy with nothing. And you think you're doing them a favor by going over there and doing something for them when the real ministry is what happens in your own heart that they do for you. Because you begin to see how people can be joyful and they have no hope of ever owning a vehicle. They have no hope of ever having a house like yours they would like to have the house that your car sleeps in. They would be actually really grateful for that. Your car sleeps in a nicer house than they do. And somehow they find joy. Somehow they find 
contentment because as you see people who are literally stripped of earthly possessions, when they find Christ, all of a sudden he becomes their everything instead of stuff. Some people look at Christ as a pathway to stuff. And they think, oh, I'll, I'll manipulate Scripture in a way to try to present Christ as just another way to attain and acquire more stuff, as if somehow stuff is going to make me more happy and more content than the message of the gospel that says, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. As if somehow stuff can be better than Jesus, but delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 if you have your Bible this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to read 2 Timothy 3. We'll start at the first verse. The Bible says this, but understand that in the last days there's going to come great times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Here we see the Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy and he's trying to describe to, them, to him the condition of man's heart and how the more we feed this selfishness, this thing is just going to keep growing. He said it's going to keep growing. It's going to get out of control because selfish living causes us to have bad desires, and bad desires cause us to make bad decisions, impulse, self-focused, self-driven decisions to where we're not delighting in the Lord, where we're not focusing on Him and putting Him first, we're hoping that God will just give us what we want because what we want has to be good for us if it makes us happy, right? And this is kind of the value system that we live our lives with. We think, if I could just have what I think I'm supposed to have, then I can truly delight in the Lord because then I would be able to thank God for something. People think they're, they're, they're holding back their praise from God and they're holding back their worship and their thankfulness to God because they think he hasn't quite given me what I want yet. You know, that thing I've been praying for, I don't know why God hasn't answered that prayer. And so because of that, we feel angry towards God. Because we haven't gotten from God what we think we deserve from him, or what we're entitled to from God. If God really is good, then why in the world have I not had this happen yet? And why is it happening to everyone else but me? And we get angry and we get frustrated with God and we hold back our praise and we hold back our thankfulness as if God has somehow owed us something when he's given us the best gift that we could have ever received, church. When he's given us the best thing, if, if he gave us nothing more than Jesus Christ on the cross dying for your sin and my sin and reconciling us in a right relationship so we could spend eternity, hello, eternity with him, that means forever, then he's done more than enough. 
But he doesn't stop there. He says, I've given you this, and I want you to have joy. I want you to have contentment. I want you to walk in peace. He says, I want to take care of you. I want you to have an experience on this earth to where you will live your life glorifying me for what I've done in you and what I continue to do as you grow in serving me. And you begin to see the benefits of serving God. You begin to experience his mercy and his grace that is new every single morning. And folks, that's so much better than a car. That's so much better than trinkets. That's so much better than credit card debt. Stress comes when we try to serve God backwards. When we want stuff first and we want to delight in God. And then, then we cause all these problems. And we have to run to God and say, God, bail me out. And he's saying, make better decisions. It's not a lack of money issue. It's a heart issue that caused the lack of money issue. It's a heart issue. It all comes down to a heart issue. That's why Jesus talked so much about finances when he was here on earth. Because so much of it is attached to your heart. It's attached to our heart. The Bible says where your treasure is, he's talking about money there, Luke 12 and 34, there your heart is going to be also. It's going to expose what's important, where your value system is, what really matters. It's going to be the litmus test that matches a lot of the things we say versus the things that we do. And when we get over into selfishness, and I know not, that we're talking about the church down the street, but when we get over into selfishness, no, that's all of us, isn't it? When we get into selfishness, we begin to make selfish decisions and we get into trouble because our wanter got out there and we begin to want what we thought we needed to have and we make bad choices. We make bad decisions. And here's the thing. You are never going to be content until God is first. You can try every way you want to try. You can try everything you want to try. You can go and accumulate everything you can accumulate. But have you ever watched some of those documentaries about these rock stars that are kind of, you know, has-beens and they share their stories, you know, and they'll be interviewed? They all say the same thing. Do they not? Do they not all say the same thing? I've tried it all. I've done it all. And they're like, and I'm still empty. I still am wanting. It's still not enough. And there's, some of them are still pursuing it, but then some of them hit rock bottom. And some of them go, I had the this, I had the that. And I had to have this type of lifestyle. And some of them that came to Christ will even share, I had everything that you could have ever wanted and experienced and could do everything you ever wanted. But then it got old, it got boring. And they had to up the ante. And that's because it won't lead you to a place of contentment. You'll never be content until God is first, which means with contentment comes peace, which means with contentment comes joy. And I'm not talking about that temporary happiness that you get after you get that new thing. I'm talking about true lasting joy that only comes from knowing the Lord. And that's why my joy, my Peace is not attached to the things that I possess, but rather it's attached to knowing Him. Nothing will satisfy until you delight in the Lord. Then He will influence, He will order, He will direct your heart. 
And then your life will be one that is giving honor and glory to Him. If you only depend on the tools and the knowledge of finances that you learn from finance books or from different teachings or seminars or whatever the case may be, and you only depend on the tools and the knowledge that you acquire of the how-tos, but you never orient your heart towards God and delight in Him, then your success or failure when it comes to managing your finances is solely dependent upon your personal ability to exercise consistent discipline in those financial principles and management. If you don't orient your heart towards the Lord and put Him first, you can be a smart money manager. You can. You can still be financially successful without having a heart for God. We see it all over the world, don't we? I'm just being real. We see people who are successful with finances whose heart is not oriented towards the Lord. But the problem with that is, is that the only way you can become financially successful without orienting your heart towards the Lord is depending upon your own ability to discipline your flesh. And some people can discipline really well. Some people get lucky. Some people are really smart and make really good decisions. But the thing is, is that whether or not your heart is oriented to the, towards the Lord is going to determine whether or not you truly have real peace and contentment, not just a lot of money. Because we've seen over and over again that a lot of money doesn't bring peace and contentment and joy. So you can learn all the tools. You can learn all the principles. You can read all of the books. And those things are good. But unless your heart is oriented towards the Lord, you're depending on yourself. And you're not leaning on the Lord. You're hoping you become smart enough to figure it out instead of allowing the heart of the Lord to order and direct your steps. Allowing the heart of the Lord to open up doors for you and direct your path. You see, if your heart is not delighting in God and prioritizing Him first in your life, then you're going to go back to the same selfish living, the same selfish managing, so same selfish spending habits that you had before. So here's my advice to you. You ready for this? Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself because the stress that comes from debt, the stress that comes from overspending, the stress that comes from living above your means is self-selected slavery. It's slavery that we choose. We choose this type of slavery when we live beyond our means, when we decide to rack up a bunch of credit card debt, and we welcome this thief into our marriage. We welcome this thief into our home. We welcome this thief into our lives because we didn't prioritize God, because we didn't allow Him to direct our heart. We didn't allow our heart to be oriented by Him. People who are stressed out don't live generously. They don't live generously. They don't understand the joy of generosity. They live week to week, and they say, generosity is something I'll eventually get to, or I'll eventually get around to, and I'll do it God's way after I remove the stress. You see, they have a contingency with God. They have this thing where they say, God, I'll do this if, and we're trying to make deals with God. But the reason that we're there is because we're so focused on ourselves and we're not living generously. We're not living freely. We're not living open-handedly. People who are stressed out do not enjoy checking the mail. Checking the mail is fun, especially nowadays with email. Because, man, you're like, oh, I actually got something in the mail. Oh, it's another credit card offer. <laughs> or those really sneaky ones that you get where it says open, important, urgent. You're like, oh, no, what is it? What is this? You want me to refinance my home? <laughs> it's ridiculous, the stuff we get in the mail. But 
people who are stressed out, checking the mail is not a fun part of the day. Matter of fact, they'll neglect checking the mail because they'll go, oh, I'll, I'll just wait till that thing really gets full and, 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 and maybe some things will get lost. People who are stressed out don't answer phone calls because if they see a number on there that they don't recognize, instead of having the confidence and the curiosity to see who it is, they really know who it is, but they don't want to answer that phone call even if they don't recognize that number. People who are stressed out, they hope that the card gets accepted at the restaurant. They hand the card to the waiter or waitress and they, they're, they're really nervous until they get back and then they wipe the sweat off their head. Whew, I made it got accepted. That's not a fun way to live, is it? That's slavery. That's bondage. That's something that's making you feel always defeated. That's something that's making you feel the stress that God does not want you to feel. But we chose to live in a way to where we move beyond our means, where we accumulate debt, where we spend more than we make. And the thing is, is that that misery and stress is not God's best for you. Amen, somebody. Proverbs 22 and 7, the Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender, and that slavery feeling is a terrible feeling. And I think that really the core of this message is understanding what true prosperity and true riches is, and that's having your riches in heaven and having your heart towards God and putting him first and delighting yourself in the Lord. Like Matthew 6.33 says, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Don't worry about those things. Don't you know your father in heaven cares for you and knows you have all of these needs? Don't you know that if he clothes the lilies of the fields that today are and then tomorrow they're thrown into the fire? He says, don't you think he cares more about you than a flower? Don't you know that God provides for the sparrows, the small insignificant bird? Don't you know that God provides for them and that they don't spin or toil or wonder where they're going to get their next meal? Don't you think you're more valuable to God, your heavenly Father, than one of these? Don't you know God is going to take care of you? Don't you know that God loves you? So why are you chasing after things? That's why Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God. But I think that the real heart of this message is one to help us understand what's the most important. And that's that the richest people are not those who have the most, but rather they're those who need the least. I'm going to say that again. I want you to write it down. The richest people are not those that have the most. They're those that need the least. People who understand where true riches lie are the happiest. They're the most content. They're the most generous on the planet. You will never meet an unhappy, generous person. I'll, I'll say that again because like two of you heard it. You'll never meet an unhappy, generous person. Have you ever watched those shows on TV where people who have acquired some affluence are able to do some really large-scale things for people that may not have very much? Like people that can go to other countries and help those countries out in a very significant way. You guys ever followed Tim Tebow and some of the cool stuff that Tim Tebow's doing? Have you guys seen some of the stuff that perhaps maybe even on TV where uh, uh, people will build someone a home who was in just this destitute situation? Are those people grumpy when they're building that home? Are they complaining about working on that home? Are they in there going, oh, these people, they're probably going to tear this thing up. They're just no good people. They're not in there. They're like, I can't wait for this kid to see his room. 
I can't wait for this little girl to get to walk in her room because I decorated her room and, and, and she's been living in, in, in a room with all of her siblings and she's going to get to have her own room. And this person that's building this room just can't wait for this kid to see this room. Because people that are generous, man, they're happy people. There are people that truly understand something that when we live selfishly and we make it all about ourselves and about what we can have, we think generosity is something that we have to work towards and something that maybe one day when I have everything I want, then I'll be able to live generously. When we see people that truly live generously, we see true happiness. I was meeting with someone the other day and asking them about their goals in life. I was asking them, where, are you, where do you see yourself, and how can I help you get there? And I would love to just be able to you know, make sure that I'm helping you to get where you believe God wants you to go. And this person told me, one of the things that's always been on my heart is that I would love to reverse tithe. I've always heard about people doing that. I would be able to live off of 10% and give away 90%. I said, that's a great goal. What are you giving away right now? And they said, well, this is what I'm giving away right now. I said, well, are you looking for ways to increase giving things away to other people or giving things away to organizations or your church or investing in other things and giving that away so you can work towards that? And they said, well, no. I was just kind of hoping that, you know, one day I would, I would get there. I said, well, that's not how it works. I said, you, you, if that really is a desire of your heart, then you got to start working towards that. And you need to start being generous. A lot of times we say things that sound good, a lot of things that maybe even be good intentions behind what we're saying. But we're always waiting on something to happen to enable us to get there. We're always kind of hoping that something like that happens to where, oh, one day I'll, I'll live, you know, with this less is more mentality, but right now I still need a lot of stuff. I'll, 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 one day I'll, I'll be able to live debt-free, but right now there's a lot of things I really need, and there's a sale you don't understand. You don't understand this sale. I've had my eye on this thing for quite a while and you know what? I just got that no interest rate credit card in the mail, and this is going to enable me to get the stuff. You don't understand. You don't understand. It's 12 months, same as cash, and then all of a sudden something else comes up. You don't understand. I really need a car. Even though the interest rate is 31%, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, 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 can, I can do it. And we go and we make these decisions and get ourselves in a bind, and we experience this stress. And next thing you know, we're fighting with our wife. Next thing you know, we're looking for a different job and we're, we're not content with the job that we once were content with because it's not paying the bills that we've now acquired. And we live this life just slave to this stuff and it controls our actions, it controls our attitudes, controls the way we treat people, the way we look at people in authority, the way we look at our boss, the way we look at our coworkers. We begin to get more jealous. Man, the richest people are not those that have the most but rather they're those that need the least. Can I get an amen, somebody? 1 Timothy 6 and 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me tell you something. Never make excuses for doing the right thing. Never make excuses for doing the right thing. When you do things God's way, you'll always find yourself with more than enough. And I know like three people believe that because I thought I was going to get shouted down when I said that. <laughs> when you do things God's way, you will always find yourself with more than enough. Always. Always. God even says, test me in this and see if it's true. He said, it's true. If you try me out, you're going to find 
that I'm faithful to my word. When you put God first, you always find yourself with more than enough. It's when we live reverse with God, when we live backwards with God, and we want to serve stuff and then hope that he catches up with us somewhere along the way, that's where we get in trouble. That's when we get stressed out. But when we prioritize God in our living, when we prioritize God in our seeking, when we prioritize God in our spending, and even ask God, is this wisdom? And even ask godly people, is this wisdom? Instead of just jumping in with what seems like a good opportunity. Because how many times has something seemed like a good opportunity? You jumped into it and found out it wasn't as good of an opportunity as you thought it was. I know I have. I've got both hands up. For me, the name of it was timeshare. There's this little thing called maintenance fees that keeps climbing and going up. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And some people, that's fine. I'm not knocking that. Some people do well with that, but I did not do well with that. But it sounded good, and it made sense. Yeah, I'm going to spend that money one way or another. That's what the salesman told me. If you're going to go on a vacation, you're going to spend that money. And I thought, yeah, but I wasn't in a position to where I could afford it. And I got into some trouble over that years and years ago. And it was something that still stings a little bit to this day, but it's a good sting. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of reminds me of, hmm, I need to make better decisions. And ask God, is this a good decision? Ask godly people, is this a good decision? Godliness with contentment is great gain. You never make excuses for doing the right thing, and you always do things God's way, and you'll find yourself with more than enough. A person that has more than enough is rich in Christ because Jesus is the greatest reward. Amen, somebody? And I'm serious. I know we say that, and I know you can write it down, Jesus is the greatest reward. But man, when you go to the mall, all of a sudden there's some rewards that really start, you know, making you excited. When you go to the car lot, when you walk around with a real estate agent, man, there's things in your life that all of a sudden you begin to go, "Mm, this looks pretty rewarding. But yet if we focus on Christ being the center of our lives, there's nothing wrong with buying a car, nothing wrong with buying a house, there's nothing wrong with, you know, going shopping. I'm not demonizing those things at all or putting those things down. Just live within your means and use wisdom. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about a few things as I'm wrapping up this morning that are going to help us to get rid of stress. And these are extremely practical, and I want you to write these things down. The first thing is we are going to press into God and simply learn to delight in the Lord first. We're going to press into God, and we're going to learn to delight in the Lord first. Make a conscious decision to press into God, to learn to delight in Him before you begin to press into God asking Him for more stuff. Oh, let me say that again. Press into God first and learn to do this, where you press into Him, where you develop a relationship with Him, where God is the first one that you acknowledge in the morning. When maybe even you, you do like I've heard a preacher say that he positions his body in a way in the bed that when he wakes up that he wants to make sure that the first thing that he does is that before his feet hit the ground that his knees actually hit the ground as he slides off the bed. Because he wants to spend the first part of his day acknowledging that this day that he has been given is a gift from God. And God, help me to see you in this day. Help me to see you in the relationships that I spend time with today. Help me to see you at work. Help me to see you at the store. Help me to see you, Father, in every instance and see the opportunities you put in front of me to glorify you through the way I handle situations or the way that I act or react when things don't go my way. Man, when we live our lives delighting ourselves in the Lord, 
Lord and pressing into Him first, it begins to tweak our heart and orient our heart and direct our heart and actually realign our heart into a way where we're actually going to see things happen in our lives that are going to bring Him glory and be done His way. So find your way to begin to delight in the Lord. Maybe it's by doing something like that preacher said. Maybe it's by just slowing down and you recognizing and taking it all in, just how truly blessed you are, not because of the things you have, but because you have Jesus Christ and He's more than enough. You know, so many people look around and they say, oh, I'm blessed because I have all this stuff. And, and there's, there's an element of truth to that. You need to be grateful for the things that you have. But even more than the things that you have, being grateful for the cross, being grateful for the gospel, being grateful that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that now lives within me. And the life that I now live, I, I'm not living by the flesh anymore, but instead I'm living it by faith in the Son of God, the one who gave his life for me. And I live my life identifying with him. I live my life glorifying him. And that changes the direction of my day. It changes the direction of my marriage. It changes the direction of my financial management. So press into God first. That's the first thing that we're going to do. The second thing is we're going to prioritize developing a heart of generosity by starting with the tithe. And I mean where money doesn't control you. And that's really what the tithe is all about. We're going to talk about giving next week because giving is good. And that's the third message that we're going to go in in this series. So make sure you come next week, right? <laughs> because giving is good. A lot of people have a problem with giving. We're going to talk about that, not from a condemning or a guilt-ridden way, but from a way that I believe will actually stir in your heart to teach you how to live generously and open-handedly instead of close-fisted. But if we prioritize that heart of generosity, that's the whole purpose of the tithe in the first place because it's not like God needs your money. Does God need your money? No. And honestly, the church really doesn't even need your money in that sense because it's God's church, isn't it? A lot of times it's preachers that may be after people's money. And I grew up in a church that that was talked about a lot in a very unhealthy way. But here we don't do that at Word of Grace because we look at things scripturally and biblically and we're going to trust God, right? And God's provided for us and Word of Grace is debt-free and we thank God for that. And that's a wonderful thing, but here's the deal. God doesn't need your money. The church doesn't need your money because it's God's church. So what is this giving thing all about? What is this tithe thing all about? It's really about your heart with God. That's really what it's about. That's why he wants you to put that first. That's why he calls it first fruits. He calls it this because he's trying to do something in you because he knows that your money is attached to your heart. And he didn't say give me all of it, even though he could require all of it because it's all his. He says, I want you to steward 90, but 10 I want you to prioritize for me because he knows that there's something in your heart that if you'll prioritize him first, that he'll begin to work within you a heart of generosity, and he will take care of you and provide for you. And, 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 and it's all throughout Scripture, and we see that. So when we're getting rid of stress, we want to develop a heart of generosity, because remember, generous people are the happiest, are they not? People that are generous are happy, and I want to be a generous person. And if you're not able to be a generous person, where do I start? People go, I don't know how to start being generous. God gave you a great plan. Start with the tithe. When you start with the tithe, it's a starting point to develop a heart of generosity. It's not something on a checklist of my spiritual requirements that I do and I feel better about myself. It's for you and your heart, and it's God developing something in your heart for a specific, for a specific purpose so money doesn't control you. 
So many people, money controls them. There's songs about money. So many songs that glorify stuff and money and having more. There's so many things that we can see on television and in movies that glorifies money. And we think this is what life is all about. But God doesn't want our life to be consumed with money and stuff. He doesn't want money to control us. Amen? He wants us to be able to steward well and to recognize that it all really is God's. And he wants us to prioritize that by starting with our heart and with the tithe. So that's a way you can develop a heart of generosity if you don't know where to start. Adjust your lifestyle to live beneath your means. That's number three. We're going to adjust our lifestyle to live beneath our means. That means we have to create a budget. If you don't know how to create a budget, there's a lot of great tools on Dave Ramsey's website. There's also a free app that he puts out called Every Dollar. That's what my wife and I use. It syncs up all of our budgeting stuff to help us to be able to track what we're spending. And we've been doing that for years now. And that's one of the healthiest things that my wife and I ever implemented to help us communicate because we're not always together when we spend money. And we use every dollar. It's a free app that you can download on any platform for a smartphone. Or you can just get an account online if you don't have a smartphone. But that's a great tool, a great resource for communication purposes. But living beneath your means means I need to understand how much I make versus how much I spend. I need to understand what's coming in and what's going out. And if you don't know what's coming in and you don't know what's going out, you're already in trouble. So you need to learn what's coming in. For some of you, that may be a little bit more challenging if you own a business or if you work off commission. I know that those things are challenging. I used to own my own business where I did websites and graphic designs, and sometimes I did really good with money, but more times than not, I did really bad with money because when I get a really big check in, I get really excited. And when you work in sales, when you work on commissions, when you own your own business and you have money coming in, you've got to find averages and you've got to learn how to always keep things stored back because you don't know when you're going to hit a dry spell and you don't want to be in a bad patch in a bad season because you were living off of this great sale thinking you're always going to keep tracking along that way. Because how many of you that work in sales and work off commission or own your own business know that's not how it goes? you got to think in those ways to where what does living beneath my means, what does that mean for me if that's the situation I'm in? For those of you that do have a steady paycheck, that have steady hours, this should be a lot easier for you because you can say, I know pretty much what's coming in and I know what's going out. And I want to make sure that I have extra for those times when crisis may come or something breaks down or unexpected expense happens. Let me paint for you a, a wonderful picture. Imagine your hot water heater breaks. It's a wonderful scenario. You go into the room where your hot water heater is, and there's water all over the floor. And if you're living above your means and stress is bad and you're maxed out on your credit cards, your reaction is going to be, what are we going to do? You're freaking out. But if you're living beneath your means and you have an emergency fund, you walk in and you go, oh, man. I can't believe this thing went out. Guess I'm going to have to buy a new one. And guess what you do? You pay for it. And it's amazing. You don't charge anything. You don't figure out where's the money going to come from to pay. You had it. Imagine something goes wrong with your car. And you take it to the mechanic and they fix it. And guess what you do? You pay for it. It's a phenomenal experience if you have experienced this because stress is bad, but when you live beneath your means and you have things put away for emergencies, the stress virtually disappears because I had it. 
and I can just pay for it. What a good feeling. And that helps us to stay focused on the things that really matter instead of treating our spouse bad because we're stressed out or being short with the kids because we're under all this pressure. That's no fun. It's no way to live. So God wants us to do better by living beneath our means. And you've got to do that intentionally if you need some help with that. We've been running small groups through the series called Money Matters. And if you're not a part of one, get uh, uh, get connected to one. You can do that at guest services. You can do that on our website. Go to the Connect tab and go get connected with Money Matters so you can learn some of these tools on how to do this. If you're unable to connect with one of the small groups to be able to learn some of these practical things, get online and check out Dave Ramsey. He puts all of his conversations that he has on YouTube. They are free. Get that Every Dollar app. Go through the steps. Learn how to do this. Sit down as a couple. Do this. Figure it out and put a plan together because people who live beneath their means don't live beneath their means by happenstance. It's intentional. And so you've got to be intentional about this thing. You've got to say, stress is bad and it's not welcome in my home. And I don't want to live this way. And if I've got to readjust, if I've got to sell some stuff, if I've got to do some things differently for a season in order to put me in a position where I can live beneath my means, and so be it. Because I don't want my healthy marriage, I don't want my relationship with my children, I don't want my own peace and contentment to be ruled by how much money I've got in the bank. Amen, somebody? Because the enemy loves to come. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he would love to steal your joy. And finances is just one way that he tries to do it, and he succeeds. He's even gotten people to believe the lie that they're worthless or that the stress is never going to go away or that they messed up so much that this stuff will cause these people just to go nuts, cause them to quit their jobs, cause them to just leave their spouse, cause them to make all kinds of terrible decisions all over money, something that was controlling their lives. The fourth thing that we're going to do is we're going to aggressively pay off debt and commit not to accumulate new debt. So I added that second part because it's the first thing I wrote down when I was preparing this message. I said, we're going to aggressively pay off debt. And I said, no, we need to aggressively pay off debt and we're going to commit not to accumulate new debt. So you're going to aggressively pay off debt. That means that if you have extra money, that you want extra money to go towards knocking that stuff down, and that in the process, you're going to not accumulate new debt. We're going to find creative ways to aggressively pay off debt. This is yard sale season in Wisconsin. That means that every weekend there is a yard sale somewhere, and maybe your house should be one of the somewheres, because less is more. And if you're living less is more living, then maybe it's time to clear out and it's time to have that yard sale and take all that money instead of going, oh, look at all this money. I'm going to treat myself. Take all that money instead of going out and buying that new thing from all the stuff you just got rid of that you made money because you were clearing, clearing out. Instead of doing that, you're going to take whatever profits you make and you're just going to knock down some debt. What a good feeling. What a good feeling to knock down some of that stuff and, and pray over that thing and commit that thing to God. God, we're going to have this yard sale because we don't want to be slave to the lender anymore. We're going to sell this stuff, so God, I pray that you just help us to have favor in this yard sale because we're going to commit to get rid of this stuff, and we're going to commit to living debt-free. And so Cassius King, Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else today so you can live like no one else tomorrow. That means that you adjust your lifestyle in such a way that you may not be living like all of your friends. You're doing some things differently. Maybe you're not able to just go and blow like some of your friends, and you're living like no one else, so at some point you can live 
like no one else because you're not going to be controlled by debt. The next thing, the fifth thing, is to always save something each paycheck. That's something we're going to do. Always save something. I don't care if it's five bucks. Every time you get paid, you always put something back. Maybe you can't put back $100 every time. Maybe you can't put back $500 or $1,000 or however much you commit to save. But always put something back. Create the habit of always putting something back. And put back enough to where you know you can be disciplined to not touch it. That's the other thing. Because if you're always robbing Peter to pay Paul, then you're not really getting ahead. But always commit to save something. I, I, don't, I don't care if it's $5, $10. Always, every time that money passes through your hands, always commit to save something every time that you get paid. It'll be a great habit for you to develop. Teach your kids this. Teach your kids this. Give them the option always when money passes through their hands to save it every single time. Always give them that option. Set them, up, set them up an account. I know that at our little credit union that we bank with here in Sheboygan Falls, they actually have a reward system for children that they have set up for saving money. Every $5, they get a little coin. And if they get so many coins, then they can go to their little store and shop with their little coins because they're trying to incentivize these kids to save and teach these kids to save. And we love that program at our little credit union. And so we try to take advantage of that. And my my girls figured it out. My son, he didn't figure it out very quick, but my girls, man, they were sharp. When I give them their little money every week and I take them to the bank and I make them walk inside the bank, that's the other thing that we do, is on Friday, I take my kids in the bank and we walk in the bank and I ask the teller, she knows us by name because we go in there and we do this all the time, and I say, you give them their little money and I make sure that she counts it out to them and they actually touch it. I don't let transactions happen with the kids without them touching it because I want them to feel it. And I want them to know, hey, I have to make a decision. And when they have those few dollars in their hands, I ask, well, what are you going to do with it? And then, you know, sometimes my girls, they figured it out. I can get these coins, you know, if I put these things back and they've got a little store. My girls will go, I want to give it back. And so she'll take the dollars that were just handed to her and she'll hand it right back to the teller. Um, and, and yeah, it's a lot of extra work for the teller, but they enjoy it. They love it. It's fun. It's fun for the kids. And they always win because you get a sucker at the end. They get a sucker for not being a sucker. Ooh, ooh, you like that? You see what I did there? That was, wasn't in my notes. Came up with that on the fly. The last thing that we're going to do is we're going to pray for and seek out creative opportunities to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure so that we can further cultivate and develop this heart of generosity and we can learn to further that contentment that we have and that commitment to Christ because we want to make sure that there are there, there's opportunities to be generous all around and, and some of those things are attached to money and some of them aren't there's some things that may be attached to some of your time or maybe you could make something for someone else or or be present to help someone but if you're not looking for those opportunities they're going to pass you by you've got to set yourself up for those opportunities and look for those things both with you and your children and not just hope that they develop a heart of generosity. Be intentional with it. Be intentional with the heart of generosity for your family, where you guys actually talk about things that you're going to do to live open-handedly and live generously, not just with money, but with your time. If you're, if you're always living selfishly with your time and everyone's always interrupting you and everyone's always inconveniencing you, you're going to pass that down to your kids and they're never going to have time for anybody else. You need to make sure that you're being intentional and explaining these things. Hey, we're, we were going to do this, guys, but now this opportunity came up and we're going to go do this instead because we believe that this is going to help this individual or help these people. 
and explain it to them and be intentional with your generosity, with your time, and then your talent. God has given you guys talents. He's given every one of us talents and abilities at some level, and they're for His glory. It's all for Him, and it's all for His glory. Amen? So if it's all for Him and it's all for His glory, what talents has God given you? What abilities has He given you that can be used for His kingdom? Are you being generous with those things? Are you allowing those things to be used to impact eternity in some way, shape, or form, even if it's just in a small way that you may think is insignificant but heaven is smiling about? Let's begin to look for opportunities. Pray and look for those things. Ask God, God, help me to see opportunities. Help me to see the little ways I can bless someone. Help me to see little ways that I can be a light for someone, that I can live open-handedly with my time, with my talent, and with my treasure. This is about eliminating stress, about living generously, finding the joy of the Lord, and living in that joy, living in that contentment, not just chasing after stuff because stress is bad. Amen? Yes. Less is more, and stress is bad. Giving is good, and tomorrow matters. Next week, we're going to pick this back up and talk about giving is good, and I hope to see you next week because I know God is going to continue to challenge us and change us and help us to be encouraged to go do what He has called us to do, created us to do, and intended for us to do, and not let this stuff own us. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.